1: Welcome to the In Conversation podcast from Sheerlucks with me, Charlotte Collins. This week, I'm joined by legendary makeup artist, Gucci Westman. With a career that spanned over 20 years in the industry, it's safe to say what she doesn't know about beauty isn't really worth knowing. Responsible for countless magazine covers and endless red carpet looks, she's well known for her versatile skill and ability to create both natural and elaborately designed looks. Previously artistic director at both Lancôme and Revlon, she's renowned in the industry for her expert advice on product development and trends. Gucci has now channeled her knowledge into a streamlined range of her own, Westman Atelier, bringing years of expertise to anyone with a passion for impactful yet paired back Beauty. So welcome, Gucci.
2: Oh, thank you, Charlotte. Thank you so much. It's so um, nice to speak to you today.
1: Thank you, you <laughs> too. I don't even know where to start, Gucci. There's so many questions for you. But you know, in the world of beauty, you're a real household name. But how did you get there? How did you how did you even start out? You know, I started out,
2: I think there was a little seed that was planted when I was younger. And a little bit of it was maybe fueled by the fact that I was not allowed to wear makeup until I was hmm. maybe 17 years old. And the Of course, you know, the rebellion in me wanted to do anything that my mom told me I couldn't do so I used to actually put makeup on as soon as I got to school but then on the way to school we had a very long bus ride we lived in the countryside in Sweden where I grew up and I would end up for some reason I was solicited by all of my friends on the bus to do their makeup because our bus ride was an hour and 45 minutes it just became a thing and I love you know I always loved painting and I love making people feel good about themselves and elevating their confidence so that was something I always enjoyed obviously didn't know I was going to be a makeup artist but I loved the kind of aspect of connecting with people being creative and uh, making people feel better about themselves and that you know led to me being 18 being an au pair in Switzerland and you know I think obviously it was serendipitous but I worked with a family where the mother in the household was a fashion critic for Mm -hmm. a local uh, newspaper in in a town called Neuchâtel in Switzerland and she would give me boxes and boxes of Dior, Lancôme, Saint Laurent, Chanel. And because she didn't wear any makeup, not a stitch. So she would just give them all to me. And I was like a kid in a candy shop, you know. And and then she brought me to some fashion shows. and, And from then on, I was very you know kind of romanticized by you know the whole concept of makeup and and then I she sort of helped me find this makeup artist school in in Paris because I thought if I'm not any good at makeup at least I wouldn't have wasted my time because the course was in French that's where it started and you know we were told in our classroom that if you're not a male homosexual you most likely will not succeed in the industry so you're wasting your time and I was like huh So that was a little bit of a fire in my belly. I bet. I bet it was. What was your first big break? Well, I think it's a process. My husband always talks about the process. And I really do think there wasn't one thing that led to, you know, suddenly I was doing all this work. It was more kind of a succession of different things and different contacts that I made. But so I moved from Paris to la when i was 25 and i went to a really bad makeup school terrible and a complete rip off it was all video instruction like pre-recorded instruction from joe blasco from the 1970s it was so shameful. So I, I did this course and I I met Spike Jones through a friend who worked with him. I ended up doing every single job with him for many years. That was a big deal within that area, you know, kind of film and television and just working with the coolest crew being so free and having so much fun working and being part of that was really special creating so many interesting characters and I think Mm. that inspired my approach to fashion makeup you know because I always really related to the character development it really resonated with me and Mm -hmm. um, that was one aspect and then I also got introduced to Annie Leibovitz and Bruce Weber and that was before I moved to New York and I did a few jobs with Annie assisting and her stylist Lori Goldstein really liked me and she said, "You know, I think you need to you need to do some jobs on your own with Annie." I was like, "Yeah, right." And then I got an option to do a Vanity Fair cover in Houston with all the Olympic athletes, but I was assisting somebody. And then I remember I flew in to Houston and there was a limousine, you know, waiting to pick me up and I I was looking around and thinking it was the wrong westman i was like really (laughs) and i I traveled there with one pair of pants and one t-shirt because i thought i was you know staying one night and i ended up doing the cover they canceled the the previous makeup artist who was doing the cover i did the cover and then annie asked me to stay for a month to (gasps) work on her olympic athlete book still had my one pair of pants with me and they were like blue
1: Oh my God. I mean, I think, you know, very all very well to talk about the process, but I think you could definitely describe that as your big break. I think that's as, yeah, about that as big was, as it gets really, isn't it? That was a
2: big deal because, you know, yeah. suddenly I had the credibility of, of doing a cover. Mm. And then, you know, I met Cameron Diaz through, oh, I had worked with her before, but I met her, I became close with her on Being John Malkovich. And then wow. she wanted me to do everything with her, including her editorial covers. And I think my first beauty breakthrough was uh, Harper's Bazaar. Suddenly I was working with, you know, all these great photographers and hairdressers and stylists and I didn't even know what hit me. <laughs> so I decided to take the plunge and move to New York and I shared an apartment on the fourth floor with Tatiana Patitz, with no elevator. So I was walking up and down with my massively heavy makeup bag every day. What was
1: the biggest learning curve in that time for you?
2: I think just being intuitive and uh, well, you learn certainly etiquette when you're working on set is really important to kind of be sensitive to who you're working with, know your audience, feel all of these things. And that's a big part of how far you'll go in this industry, I think, because there's so many ultra talented people, but so many things have to fall into place. You know, your personality mm-hmm. has to be a certain moldable way. You have to be confident in yourself. You have to be brave, be able to push yourself and you have to trust your intuition, I think.
1: The period of time that you're talking about was kind of the heyday of glossy magazines and covers and celebrity. You must have some amazing memories from those times. What's like a really glamorous moment? I mean,
2: I think that a lot of the work I did with Grace Coddington for Vogue was really so memorable and Mm -hmm. kind of I think iconic in a way Mm. and it was really special to be a part of those shoots and sometimes you know for example I think of a shoot like we did this really beautiful story for Vogue called Dangerous Liaison and we did it Mm -hmm. outside of Paris and it was with Daria, Giselle, also Gerard Padro But I remember taking a step back and just looking at what we had created and and had the opportunity to create. And it was being documented. And I just thought, wow, this is really special. You know, I, I think also grace was a big part of my rising level in the fashion industry for, for mm-hmm. absolutely grace, I would say would be maybe the biggest catalyst. She gave me wings, you know, I did sh- two shoots with her and one was with dear Stella Tennant who... It's so, yeah. so heartbreaking. So sad. Yeah. Ugh, gosh. And another one, and that was with Arthur Algord in the desert. And another another one was wow. with Bruce Weber. And we did two shoots back to back that involved travel. And I remember at the end of the shoot with Stella, we were all traveling to the airport together. And I was uh, going to a different terminal. And I, I remember feeling that I didn't know if Grace liked me or not. And I felt so insecure. And then she got out of the van to say goodbye to me. And I thought, oh, well, I guess I blew it, you know, because she didn't say anything. And mm-hmm. then she got out and, and she said, I want you to know I have not seen talent like that since I discovered Pat McGrath. And oh my- I'm like. Gosh. I want you to be part of my, my team from now on. Wow. And then it was as if everything exploded. I got home to New York and suddenly I was asked because she went back and told all of the editors, her friends, you know, Tawny yeah. and Phyllis and Elisa Santisi and everybody at Vogue at the time. And then suddenly I I was doing every cover, every story for at least, I would say, 15 months. It was insane. Amazing. And it lasted wow. for a long time. And it was quite extraordinary. It was hard to keep up with what was happening because I was always on the go. I was never home. It started this real kind of crazy time i think it started maybe in 2000 and it lasted for a, a long time i would i mean it wasn't as intense as the first maybe nine ten years it changed a little bit I, it just was unbelievable what happened and yeah. I, I suddenly worked with every single photographer that was on my dream list you know she brought me to work with Stephen meisel many times and that was a unique experience because i you know he's so Attached to his team, Pat mm. being his team. Yep. And um, so that was incredible to have that experience and that opportunity. And Grace really gave me that moment. So that that Amazing. I have to attribute so much to her. Incredible stories there, Gucci. Tell us about Lancome and then Revlon subsequently. My old agent at Art and Commerce, Leslie Sweeney, she called me. She wasn't my agent at the time, but when there was something big and important, she used to call. I remember she called me and she said, Lancome wants to meet you. And I said, for what? And she said I, to be their creative director, their global artistic director. And I, I thought, oh, okay, that's interesting. But I don't want it to get it in the way of my editorial career. Because mm-hmm. honestly, it, it was so interesting because at the time I was so... Committed to being there for everything that Grace, every shoot that Grace wanted me to do, every editorial option that I had. And I didn't really see a contract as fitting into that space. You know, mm-hmm. I thought everything's going to work out financially. I don't want, maybe there's a time and a place for a contract down the road. But now I'm having so much fun mm-hmm. and I'm there's so much momentum here that I didn't want to obstruct that. But then, of course, you know, Leslie was like, you're crazy. You're meeting them. And she was of course right. And I think my first meeting with them, I flew to Paris and I met with, you know, several people with Lancôme in Paris. And then I had to meet other people in London. Then I had to meet other people in New York. And then I had to go back to Paris to sort of seal the deal and spend a weekend and have dinners with all of these people and spend, you know, like a solid week there. Mm. So it wasn't something they took lightly, which I really respected. You know, it wasn't Mm -hmm. something that they just jumped into. They literally had me meet every person involved with that brand. It was unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Then I got the job and it was a phenomenal experience for me to have that access to, you know, the chemists that I worked with developing formula. I worked so closely with them because my contract was, was such that it was um, out of Paris. So I was hired mm-hmm. as a local in Paris. Of course, they flew me in and put me up and everything. My contract was they wanted me to be in Paris every two weeks. However old I was, I was, I guess, 31, 32. And I didn't have any real ties to anything. So mm-hmm. it fit in perfectly. So I, I spent a lot of time in Paris at every hotel, you name it. <laughs> It was just a a really wonderful experience, and I'm still very close with, you know, the former CEO of Lancome. His name is Marc de Brule, and gave me so much insight to where I am today with my brand, and Mm -hmm. I'm so grateful for that opportunity, so... That was really, really outstanding. I did have to step down when I became pregnant with my second. All of these things happened, and I obviously couldn't continue going to Paris every two weeks. It was super... It's quite a big commitment. I remember I had to go to France for two weeks when my son was two months old, because that Mm. was when you're allowed to travel with babies, and they needed me to do all this press. And while it was
1: quite glamorous, it was still taxi. Yeah. You did that for 4 years and then became Global Artistic Director at Revlon.
2: Yeah, and can I tell you when my husband, my agent, everybody was nervous of me stepping down what, mm. you know, what was going to happen next because obviously that represented a lot of money for me. A week later, I had my Revlon contract in place. Wow. That, that's amazing know, what was, they just
1: came to you as, as soon as that was yeah. over they, they swooped in
2: well they had actually approached me at the same time as Lancome but there was a few mm-hmm. things that I, I sort of felt that were more appropriate for me mm-hmm. with Lancome at the time and then they came back when they heard that I had stepped down uh, you know I met with Ronald Perlman and I started a very amazing. long contract with them. yeah
1: Yeah, seven years, right? At least.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So what did that involve? I wasn't working as closely with the chemists. With Revlon, it was a different kind of procedure that they they kind of went through. You know, I suggested Emma Stone as their spokesperson. Mm -hmm. I did two collections a year. I oversaw general product development I did press I did shoots you know it was it was just to be honest with you they they didn't really have the experience of working with a creative director previously mm-hmm. so they didn't quite know how, how to maximize what I could bring as much as maybe Lancome did not mm-hmm. in a negative way, but it was just kind of, it, it took a little bit longer to kind of navigate and to utilize what I could bring to make it fully maximized. Mm-hmm. But I did, I, I loved being so involved with everything. With Lancome, it was the same. I,
1: I suggested Daria Rabowie mm-hmm. to them before I left. As a makeup enthusiast, yeah. it must just be the best thing ever. <laughs>
2: Yeah, it was it was a wonderful experience, and I traveled around the world. You know, I I went to Japan several times. I went to you know all over. It was so so re- rewarding. I would say yeah. for to to kind of soak in all of this information. And with Revlon, it was a, you know I traveled a lot. I went to Israel. I went to China. I went all over. Amazing. <laughs> but it was it was really incredible to have both of those experiences because they were so different. You know, one was yeah. obviously luxury, and the other one was mass and it's so Mm -hmm. important to kind of have that kind of understanding of the two and what the difference is.
1: You obviously went on to found your own brand westman atelier how much of what you learned at those brands informed that decision how long had you been thinking about it where did the idea come from and how did you set those wheels in motion
2: well i had been thinking it for quite some time and actually we were on the brink of launching a green line for revlon with barney's because originally Mm -hmm. revlon was a department store brand and everybody gave the okay and barney's everything was was happening And then last minute, they pulled the plug, and I think in a way, maybe it was too early. This was early days. This was maybe when I had been with Revlon for perhaps three or four years. So that was early on for organic, clean, natural makeup. You know, I grew up on an ashram. I've never had meat in my life. My parents always enforced looking at ingredient listings, understanding what you're eating, why are you eating it does it make sense do you need it you know mm-hmm. we never had anything white in our kitchen such as flour sugar we didn't mm-hmm. really have a lot of processed foods and so that type of philosophy kind of poured into my idea of my own brand i would say, i don't want to say process again but it really is an undertaking to mm-hmm. Do, to do something like this on your own, because just the ideology on its, in itself is so complex. And mm. where do you begin? How do you even find who to work with? And luckily, I had a wonderful working relationship with one of the labs that I had worked with with both Lancome and Revlon. And I knew that they were the most respected in the industry for innovation and color. Mm -hmm. So I knew that I wanted to work with them from the get-go. And I thought they're going to have to sort of re-educate themselves around this aspect, this idea of clean beauty, Mm -hmm. natural beauty. And originally, I I wanted to have an organic line. Mm -hmm. And we tried multiple tries. I rejected maybe 50 submissions of our foundation stick. And finally we sat down after eight months and just said, you know, this is not gonna work. As a makeup artist, I'm accustomed to the most wonderful formulas in the world, the most sophisticated formulas in the world. I'm not gonna be satisfied with organic makeup. It doesn't last. Mm. I would never, as a woman trust, you know, the performance. I need the performance for my brand to be paramount. So then it was kind of like, okay, so where do I where do I go now? And we enlisted, which was a really crucial hire for us. We enlisted a green chemist who is a third party advisor for our brand mm-hmm. and she developed a blacklist for us that's very rigid and um, is constantly evolving. And that was really insightful to kind of have her perspective of what ingredients are okay and which ingredients are not. Because I think a lot mm. of people, there's, there's a lot of sort of negativity around clean makeup because it's thrown around so loosely. Mm. And you think that, okay, so clean can basically be free of just three things. Whereas as a consumer, what would serve you best is to really educate yourself around the brand that you're interested in and see what process they are taking and how far they're going to commit to being clean. And mm. for us, we really go that extra thousand miles, at least mm. we really, from supply chain to raw materials, we're sourcing, are they sourced ethically? Do our partners have RSPO certificates? All of these things, we vet everything. When we started this journey. We were so focused on the ingredients and the safety of the ingredients. And then the, the idea of infusing active ingredients that were real skincare components being at efficacy levels instead of marketing levels, which is very mm. common in the industry that people just add a few drops of something and then they say, oh, it has, you know, blue, green algae. Mm-hmm. It's going to do wonders for you. It's not the case. And we always include the maximum of our active ingredients that we can, and it costs more money and it's more challenging to not compromise the performance. But we feel mm-hmm. that it's so important to us to be transparent and to be honest and deliver what we say we're
0: delivering. Hold up.
1: Yeah, you must feel quite vindicated by, you know, the fact that that so many more brands are talking about it and, and, you know, making the effort now.
2: Yeah, they are. I mean, it's great for us that that more brands are trying to to make Mm. more responsible choices and things like that. And hopefully it'll be easier for brands to to source them and it will be less expensive, hopefully. Mm. But at the same time, this is not a trend for us and we need to be we need to own this conversation and really Mm. lead this conversation that we were kind of one of the brands to pioneer
1: I always say what you were saying before about you know it's all very well kind of slapping a label on it and calling it green but but you know what is the whole process I always say that in the context of fashion as well you know it's so easy for a brand to say oh we've used ethically sourced materials or whatever but you know what's their supply chain like what there are so many more factors that go into it other than just you know whatever that one thing that allows them to call it clean or ethical, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And it's really confusing for the consumer today, but I think that they want better choices. They, mm-hmm. We all deserve better. We deserve to know that what we put in and on our bodies should be safe. We're at a point, you know, where the environment is suffering. We are suffering because people are overusing skincare that they're not sure, you know, it might be too... Active, it might be too aggressive and, you know, there's a lot of anxiety and stress in the world. We need to focus on calming and soothing elements when it comes to our beauty regime, because that's what that's what's missing now. We're, we really need to listen to our bodies and the environment. That's so true.
1: What was the first product you launched with?
2: Well, we launched with so... As a makeup artist, I used to always get these interview requests from journalists saying, oh, so you're mostly known for this gorgeous natural skin. And it used to really bother me, Charlotte. I used to be like, oh, I can do so many more things. That is so annoying. But then I thought when it it came down... To the wire, you know, we and we were with our lab that we launched our initial lineup with, and we were sitting there, you know, and David was with me, and we were discussing what should we launch with. Obviously, mm-hmm. lipstick didn't make sense, and it really dawned upon me. These brainstorming meeting meetings are so critical for the process, you know. It mm-hmm. dawned upon me that I'm gonna own this skin concept. I'm gonna share this kind of lineup of edited, super curated products for women to create this enhanced elevated skin, you Mm. know, so they can really dive into this complexion system and I'm gonna translate it super digestibly so they understand how to work with the products, how it should feel super intuitive, it shouldn't be complicated, it shouldn't be, you know, something that transforms you or it it takes over who you are. It should just be a confidence booster and it should, you know, be a nice part of your day, an enjoyable part of your day where you feel better about yourself. You like the process, products feel beautiful to hold, and then you feel better. And I wanted to create something that for like-minded women, for myself and men, who just want something to serve them and that they can trust and also Mm -hmm. add these skincare ingredients that are gonna calm and soothe their skin and really focus on... That kind of therapeutic aspect as
1: well. I didn't answer your
2: question. We started with, <laughs> no, you know, our our vital skin foundation, which is the core of our brand. You know, because I uh-huh. have rosacea. A lot of people suffer from skin sensitivities and irritation. And I thought, oh. If I have to wear a foundation, I don't want to feel that this feels disgusting. I can't, I have Mm. to wash it off as soon as I get home. I don't want to have any silicones. I want to replace the silicones with lightweight oils that do something. So we replaced one of the oils being coconut, which is a huge cell regenerator. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's incredible for the skin. And then we added phytophinkostein, which is wonderful for um, soothing and calming redness and inflammation, camellia Mm -hmm. oil that protects you against pollution, and then And vegetable derived squalene that is a long term hydrator and exudes radiance throughout the day. So there you have like the core, which, Mm. you know, a lot of people say that their quality of skin improves once they start using our vital skin foundation, which makes me so happy. That's the goal. And yeah, and then we have our baby cheeks, which we've expanded, you know, our shade range. And then we have Mm -hmm. our face trace contour, which we also now have two shades. Our Beauty Mm -hmm. Better bronzer, we now have two shades. And then our highlight stick, which we now have three shades, which is, you know, kind of like a cult classic already. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we added... Our I love you mascara, which is ninety-seven percent natural and is it really? performs unbelievably. And I'm, if you... can I tell you,
1: I'm, I'm wearing it today. I wear it every oh. day. It is the best mascara. I, like hand on heart. I'd say. I'd say this even if it wasn't talking to you. It is the oh best my... mascara.
2: And so the, that makes me so happy. You say that because if we did this deep dive with our green chemist around mm. five other brands. And I'm not dissing anyone. I'm just saying mm-hmm. that we learned what ingredients can be included, and we we obviously decided that we didn't want to be a part of that. We wanted to go our own route, and we found known carcinogens, known endocrine disruptors, really ingredients wow. found in antifreeze, gasoline, like, and that's what you put on your eye. Yeah, that's you know, crazy. like close to your eye, and and there are studies that have been done that where you pull back a woman's top eyelid you will see black residue from all of the you know mascara yeah. they've they've worn throughout their their life and wow. you know you're going to get remnants of that mm. so why not have something that's really safe and clean and has beneficial ingredients
1: yeah, If you can, amazing. if it
2: performs for you, because I'm a big believer in it has to perform because we tried so many mascaras that honestly, they sucked mm-hmm. and, um, you know, natural, they made your lashes look almost worse and yeah. gray. And, and I, I gave this, um, brief to, we had to parallel work with, with four different labs because we, we just weren't getting there. So I gave this brief to four labs that said, I want the blackest lashes, the shiniest lashes, the longest lashes, the m- Thickest lashes, and I don't want any clumping, any transfer. And by the way, oh, and I want a natural curl. And by the way, <laughs> here's our blacklist. Good luck. And they all yeah, kind not of and said, "This is impossible." <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, but then you know, I think that that was very enticing because each lab knew that other people were working on it. So mm. I feel that we landed with such a phenomenal formula, and I do think that it competes with you know the really kind of dramatic mascaras out yeah. there so you can it, have it does your... all those
1: things it does all those things you want it does it to do. yeah
2: yeah it does yeah. and it's so good for your lashes i mean it's so natural and then we launched our lip suede and then our brushes and yeah and we're just carrying on you know
1: amazing can we talk about beauty more widely what are what are the essentials that you think every woman should have her armory
2: well as as it's hard for me to be biased because our our line consists of you know like an armory essentially and it's kind of what you need i use most of our products on a daily basis just for that kind of zoom makeup um Mm -hmm. you know to enhance your skin to elevate how you feel about yourself and really i would say for a woman who's starting and is curious i'd like to use two shades of vital skin foundation so that way Mm -hmm. you respect the integrity of the tones in your skin you don't completely mask your skin because oftentimes if you have one color you look like foundation face Mm -hmm. you know yeah but if you have two shades then you you can really look at all of the shades the different tones in your skin and you can kind of play with that and add Mm. you know patch the two together and that that's a really wonderful kind of outcome and approach to the skin and that's that's one of my big secrets in achieving this kind of aspect of like the skin looking so healthy and so kind of glowy and why does her skin look so beautiful I mean I have rosacea and oftentimes people say my skin is so beautiful but it's I'm covering I'm fixing it I'm doing Mm. stuff you know I'm removing the redness where I don't want it to be and I'm adding color back in where I want it to be always think I want to manifest this idea of this perfect, super healthy skin by doing it in a painterly approach with my makeup. But it's super easy. It's not like you have to be Van Gogh. It's super... You know, it's it's easy, and I wanted yeah. it to be easy. I think the brushes are the best brushes out there, mm-hmm. and they are sustainably made in Japan by the oldest brush maker in the world. Full disclosure, we lose money on them because they are so, the quality is so high, and that's, wow. for me, my kind of jewel. We need, I need those brushes mm-hmm. to be that level of quality, because as a young makeup artist, I remember saving my money and buying these exquisite brushes from Shu and then mm-hmm. I thought I'm going to make my own and they're going to be better <laughs> and one day, you know, and I feel I- I that we've it. achieved yeah. that.
1: What's the biggest makeup mistake that you think women make or that you see women making that you just really want to correct?
2: Well, I think that there's always room for improvement and you shouldn't necessarily stay stuck in your box. I think mm-hmm. it goes for anything in life that you should always be of a mind that you can be a disciple mm-hmm. where you're you're learning something and you have an open mind and an open heart. And I think that applies to your approach to makeup. If if you feel like you're in a rut with how you look and your skin looks a little bit drab or you just don't feel, you know, that oomph. I think mm. just playing around with makeup, we're so lucky to have these tools that, you know, you wake up and you feel one way and you can change it. You just push yourself and, and you stay curious and you look at for example there's so many wonderful youtube tutorials and if you know feeling like you want to learn something new look at some of these tutorials look at some of these brands and see if what they're saying their messaging resonates with you and then see if any of those tips are helpful you know to get out of your own head you know because sometimes Mm -hmm. people just naturally will reach for their powder and Make their skin yeah. matte and add too much foundation,
1: mask their faces. Like, mm. why don't we just open our minds? It's interesting because yeah. you said you said that you know when when you were starting out and everybody accredited you for this really natural look. It was frustrating because obviously you could do so much more. But actually, that's that's really all anyone wants now, isn't it?
2: Well, I mean, I think there's there's certainly an audience for both, but mm-hmm. I just find it alarming. And now I'm gonna I don't want to spiral too much, but. Sure. I find it mostly alarming for my girls. I have an 11-year-old and I have a four-year-old. And what they see on social media, what they see on these all these outlets, and they see these girls who are surgically altering how they look, their mm. bodies. They are both doing injections and surgical mm-hmm. transformations, plus a makeup transformation. And then they use on top of all of that, there's a filter. So they're basically projecting that you are not acceptable mm. how you are i think it's crushing these young girls creativity and their idea that they can have fun and explore on their own and just kind of play around innocently with makeup to to express themselves they're crushing that idea yeah. this idea of transformation is destroying these girls idea of themselves ultimately yeah. you know i always tell my 11 year old you know i give her makeup to play around with and of course she doesn't want my makeup she wants <laughs> Blossier <laughs> and petite and pretty, of course. which I understand, it's fine. But I always <laughs> tell her, follow your own instincts. You don't need to worry about those other things and have mm-hmm. fun and be be young. Very good advice.
1: Let's touch very quickly on skincare. Everybody knows that good makeup starts with good skincare. So what do you absolutely swear by for your skin?
2: Mm, I'm obsessed with skincare. As you can tell, I've (laughs) added skincare benefits to all of our products. Mm. Um, They're basically kind of hybrids or they are hybrids, I would say. Mm. You know, I tend to use multiple skincare brands throughout the year because I like to be flexible with the seasons. And I think Mm -hmm. that really has worked well for my skin. You know, in the winter time, I'll use things that are heavier and more nourishing. I do believe that being consistent with stimulating your fascia, you know, fascia release is something that I'm a big believer of. Microcurrent, LED light, all of those things I do. I have these home machines. I have a derma flash for kind of extractions and Mm. having products really penetrate deeply. Then I have another machine that's from Japan called Rantania that's really amazing for microcirculation, acne, fine lines. It's basically for everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just stimulates in tones. I think it's important to be consistent with those things, especially now we're not able to get in-person facials mm-hmm. like we used to. But it's important to not forget about that. And if you don't have access to a machine, you can just simply give yourself a massage, you know. And I'm yeah. sure there's several tutorials on YouTube that, that one can follow. I love Augustinus Bader. I mm. love Aurelia is a beautiful English brand that's clean mm-hmm. that I, I tend to go back to frequently... Fortuna, I love. Rantana, there's a Symbiome. There's a lot of brands that I, I tend to go to, but they're all focused on kind of soothing and mm-hmm. repairing the skin as opposed to, I'm not a retinol person mm-hmm. per se. It's a little bit too harsh. I mean, I, I do like Environ a lot and they do have mm-hmm. a retinoid that's natural that I, I might use maybe once a year for 10 days or so. Mm. But I I tend to be really kind of gentle with, I really try to live. Listen to what my skin is telling me to do.
1: Where is the best facial in the world?
2: Well, I think one of my favorite hands down is Anastasia Akilios. And she mm-hmm. has developed the most wonderful technique and program that's so potent and I mm. miss her deeply she's she's in England and um yeah. I feel like she transforms she gets rid of any type of water retention you just mm. look like you're 10 years younger after her treatment amazing. everyone says her. that about
1: her she's oh the one. my god yeah. oh
2: Joanna Cech I love and Georgia Louise and those are my three kind of okay. go-tos the magic three um yeah.
1: Gucci, I, can't, I can't let you go without talking a little bit about celebrities and some of your amazing clients over the years You know, you've done countless magazine covers so is there one that stands out as being just a look that you completely loved
2: gosh well I mean I love this Vogue cover with Christy Turlington where she's in a Mm -hmm. yoga pose I loved a pop magazine cover with Drew Barrymore that's black and white Demi Moore W cover with Matt Marcus I I mean there's so many can I ask you about the Sex in the
1: City movie, brief, brief though your appearance may be. How, how was the experience? Yeah, like, for those who don't know, you do get a, a quick glimpse of you, don't you?
2: Yeah, and you sneeze and you miss me, so be careful. Yeah.
1: For oh. listeners who don't know, Gucci is responsible for uh, Sarah Jessica Parker slash Carrie Bradshaw's makeup in the Vogue bridal shoot in the first Sex and the City film.
2: And I'll tell you mm-hmm. the story behind that because I actually was asked to do the Yves Saint Laurent show in Paris, and it was mm. the same day that the sex in the city filming was Anna Wintour she put together the whole thing and she said that absolutely I have to be the makeup artist because I work with Vogue the most of any makeup mm-hmm. artist and I I begged Grace Coddington I begged Tawny please can you talk to her please I can't I want to do the show I want to you know this oh, wow. the biggest... oh, you wanted to do Santa instead yes okay and, <laughs> and I was talking to you know DDA Malige, the hairdresser and he was like mm. oh they'll ask you next season and I was like no they won't they're <laughs> Gonna, you know, find a new makeup artist and commit. It was two days of filming, that, and we were there sorry. For, Sex and the City was. Yes. Oh my gosh, and that's we crazy! It's like a one-minute sequence. Wow. Yeah, we were there for <laughs> sixteen hours for two days, and oh you gosh. literally. As you saw or didn't see, maybe that if you sneeze, you miss me. So I was like, <laughs> but, you, oh. "But you're in a you but know it you're fun. in one of one yeah. of the
1: best films of all time, in my opinion." Yeah, so. I mean, it was fun. In hindsight, I'm happy that a decision pa- was made for me, a little part of history. <laughs> Finally, um, can I just ask you about your advice? First of all, what is the best career advice that anyone has ever given you? And then, secondly, what is what is your advice always to people who ask?
2: The best advice ever given to me. I mean, I think that you just think of your working career as your shot and how do you want it to play out? Being humble is really important and not get high on your own supply. Always being humble has served me well and being incredibly driven, enthusiastic, passionate, all those things, but also being brave. I I focused on the time in the saddle as opposed Mm -hmm. to focusing on the dollars. I was always Trying to get as much working experience as I possibly could. I think just yeah. push yourself, be brave, yeah. and
1: stay curious. Thank you so much, Gucci. I mean, I literally could pick your brain for the rest of the oh. day, but I will let you go. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you, much you so much. Me. This is so nice. If you want to shop all of Gucci's collection, then do check out westman atelier.com. You can also follow her on Instagram at Gucci Westman or at Westman Atelier. If you enjoyed that, please do also thumbs up, subscribe, comment, and tell your friends. Thank you.